Welcome to Detective Debrief. My name is Polisi and I play a detective in real life. Here I may grab some friends or I may go it alone and talk about true crime, conspiracies, current events, and law enforcement related topics. Today on episode two, we have another law enforcement guest. You may remember him from the last episode where I so eloquently stated that he quote unquote does dog. Today we'll introduce him and talk canines and a couple canine related cases after a few quick disclaimers. Given the nature of the topics to be discussed, a few warnings or disclaimers are appropriate. First, a general disclaimer for graphic content. Since we will be discussing criminal acts up to and including homicide, this podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. Next, if suspects are named, all suspects are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. And last, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual speakers. They do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any government agency. All that out of the way, let's meet our guest. He's a Twitch streamer, a character on law enforcement Twitter, a fundraiser, and a good friend to many, County Canine Guy. Tell us about yourself. How are you doing, Pleasy? <laughs> good. <laughs> so uh, everybody calls me County. Just a little background on me. I have been a canine handler for the better part of a decade, and my dog's name is Sasha. It's a female German Shepherd Malinois mix, two of the more common police breeds of Belgian Malinois and the German Shepherd. We've been together the entire time. She is going to be nine. Actually, in two weeks, she turns nine. Oh, wow. It's her birthday. So on, on Valentine's Day. Happy so. early birthday, Sasha. <laughs> She's laying down right now um, <laughs> in her crate after a long day of training today. So yeah, it's uh, I watched a little bit of the, the last one and mm -hmm. there was some excitement. I always love talking about dogs and dog-related police work because that is my wheelhouse. I know you guys touched on some tracking and, and stuff in the other one, and I was really excited that you asked me to come be a part of this today. Yeah, so we're going to get into a couple cases today that have loosely canine-related elements. Not a lot of cases discuss the gory details of what happens with the canine, just the prize he was bit or the canine was used in the apprehension. So we're going to go over those and kind of get your insight on what the back end looks like or what it looks like behind the scenes. Outstanding. So the first one we're going to talk about is a Florida man, of course, who was born with the name Thomas Otis Knight. So he was born in 1951. While he was in prison, he changed his name to Askari Abdullah Muhammad. He was executed in January of 2014. The crimes he committed while he was alive include double homicide, armed robbery. Then he broke out of prison, committed further armed robberies and another murder. Then while he was on death row, he committed another murder. He holds the record for the longest time on death row before an execution. He had a very complicated history. He was diagnosed with paranoid personality disorder. He had an abusive childhood. He also made the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives in December 12th of 1974. So the first murders he engaged in, I think they worked at like a paper bag factory. He went to work, forced his boss, Sidney Gans, into a car by rifle point in July of 1974. He made his boss then drive to pick up his boss's wife, Lillian Gans, and forced them to go to a bank to withdraw $50,000 in cash. While withdrawing the cash, the wife was driving night around and the boss went in. So Sydney went in and Lillian was driving the car. Sydney notified the manager of what was going on and the manager contacted law enforcement. Local police and the FBI tailed the car. Law enforcement lost sight of the vehicle and when they found it, they saw Knight fleeing with the rifle and the bodies of the couple were in and near the car. Both victims took rifle rounds to the neck and were deceased. Four and a half hours later, he was apprehended with the cash and the rifle. 
Knight tried to hide by burying himself, the gun and money, in the mud and weeds. So he was in a swamp buried in mud and weeds. It took tear gas and canines to flush him out of his hiding spot. I think 90% of Florida is swamp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I might be wrong about that. Um, but this is this is kind of an interesting place to start because, like I said before we were talking, this happened in 1974. So my, my initial thought was this guy watched The Predator <laughs> and thought that the dogs find people with thermal vision. But, uh, of course, that's not the case. <laughs> but it's not uncommon for people to try to mask odors, whether it's drugs or themselves, with anything they can think of. But for them, the dog's noses are so powerful and so good at discerning different types of odors that that kind of stuff is it's never successful i've always likened it to you know if somebody makes a, a cake i smell a cake you know what a cake smells like mm -hmm. it's all the ingredients once they're cooked together when a dog smells a cake the dog smells the flour it smells the sugar it smells the eggs every individual piece and it can with training discern which one it's smelling and how to alert to it so you can't hide odors, individual odors from a dog very easily. So that's a that's a pretty hard fail on his part. But try try thinking on his feet. And in, in this case, you know, with somebody hiding in the woods like that, that's a that's a moment where as a as a canine handler, when things like this happen, you're gonna be the first one in. Things are gonna be, you know, things are dangerous and it gets your it gets your hair standing up. Yeah, because in this case you wouldn't want officers tromping around in, in front of you while you're tracking, right? Right. And then the other thing that people don't generally think about or generally know is when we do a track or when we do a search or, or try to apprehend somebody that's hidden or bedded down in a wooded area, I do not have my weapon drawn. It's possible to do, but it's also very difficult. So we kind of rely on the people to our right and our left to keep us safe because you, you don't want to be trying to control a firearm and a dog that's wrapping itself around trees, you know, going through brush and everything. You have to manage your leash very carefully. So mm -hmm. You really rely on the people to your right and left. And it's 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 pretty intimidating sometimes. So I have very limited experience with <laughs> canines, to be fair. I fully admit my experience is I, I see them at the fair. So in this case, he buried himself in mud. You're the first mm -hmm. one there. What would you do? I mean, what, what do you do? He alerts on the, the, the guy buried in the mud or the, the hole that he's put himself in. Mm -hmm. Now what? So the first thing that, that we're going to do in this case, uh, knowing that he's in the woods somewhere, I'd have my dog on probably a, probably a 15 foot leash with mm -hmm. a harness on. And especially since I know he's armed, something that's become really big over the last probably decade is fundraising for bulletproof vests for canines. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that, that vest on my dog, knowing the dangers that, that are coming. And, you know, I'm watching behavior. That's, that's the thing about being a handler is, you know, I've worked with my dog for, like I said, six, seven years now get to a point where you can tell when you're getting close to somebody it's it's like a radar where you see their ears perk up a little bit more their feet start to dig a little bit deeper into the ground and you have to really become good at reading those behaviors and that's when you start warning people we're close we're close i've had a few tracks like that that when i was within probably about 50 meters of the person the scent's getting stronger you know people when they are in situations like that sweat perspire they dump more odor. So it's like the dog's coming into, you know, a heavier and heavier cloud of it. So they know that the person's close and they pick them up in the wind, they air sent them. So if I think I'm at that point, and this has happened a few times in my career, I'm going to call out, I'm going to give them warnings, give them a chance to surrender, have everybody cover the angles that I need to have them cover. And then I'm going to send her in, not where I can't see her necessarily, especially if the guy may be armed. My goal with that is even if he's buried in mud, if he's under brush, if he's hiding somewhere where we can't 
easily access them, she's still going to go through and she's still going to apprehend them. She's still going to put a bite on them. Okay. That's the goal. So even with the mud, I have no doubt that my dog would make its way through there, grab whatever calf, you know, butt cheek, <laughs> arm, whatever is available mm -hmm. um, and hold him. And then I would actually have him come to me. I don't want to approach him, especially in that situation. I don't want to put myself, you know, in that kind of danger. So ideally I'm going to have this guy hobble <laughs> with one leg with a canine on it and one leg, if that's possible. If it's not possible, then we approach him safely and take our time. You know, mm -hmm. I'd rather have somebody have a worse injury from a bite than an officer get shot. Yeah. yeah that's how I would handle that. So Mr. Knight then went to prison after all of this. And maybe you can give some insight on how the, the next part of it would be handled, because a little over two months later, Knight and 10 other inmates escaped from prison. Two days after the escape, only Knight and two others remained free. Knight continued his spree of armed robberies for a total of 101 days. One of the last armed robberies was in Georgia for around $640, and it resulted in the shooting of two clerks, one of which died, which was his third homicide. He was captured on New Year's Eve of 1974. This is also when he made the FBI's most wanted list. So inmate <laughs> runs away from prison. Seven other inmates are captured, and this guy's out running around. Then in 1980, while he was back on death row, he was told he had to shave his beard before he could see a visitor. He sharpened a spoon and murdered a corrections officer, Officer James Burke. More than a dozen wounds were inflicted on Officer Burke, with one being a fatal stab wound to the heart. His death sentence in the Gans case was reversed repeatedly. It seems, like I said, he had the record for the longest time on death row without being executed. So although his guilt has never been doubted, not at all, one judge found reason to reverse his, his death sentence because he wasn't able to cross-examine a witness. The next one said he wasn't able to present character witnesses. The last one basically pushed it through and said, this needs to happen because this is a perfect example of the gridlock and inefficiency of death penalty litigation. And then the, f the fun details that you find on the internet, they actually tracked his last meal. So his final meal was one and a half slices of sweet potato pie, one piece of coconut cake, half a loaf of banana nut bread, a quarter bottle of Sprite, two tablespoons of strawberries, butter pecan ice cream, a small container of vanilla ice cream, and a handful of Fritos corn chips. And he did not have any final words. Wow. That That's an interesting last meal, for sure. It's like all dessert. It's and, all dessert. And, and, and Fritos. And Fritos. The Fritos <laughs> threw me. <laughs> Here's a bunch of sugar and some Fritos. But uh, as far as, uh, you know, inmates escaping, that's something, you know, being a county deputy, that's something that I can't say we've had at a jail level, I know that's actually a little bit more common at the prison level because people are, jail is generally a year or less, prison is full terms, and that's when people are going to try to escape. But for a canine, as far as finding somebody that's that's done that, the key is time. There's a, a couple different methods. Uh, we use what's called the Coker method for okay. tracking. And basically, the crux of it is you want to make any activity you, you give your dog, anything you're training, any task you're trying to do, you want to make it consistent. You want to always start your tracks a certain way. You always want to start your drug detection a certain way. You always want to start as, as much as you can. Try to make it a routine because dogs are very, very good. And you probably know this. You're a dog owner as well. They're good at picking up routine. You know, if you always go out to the garage to get food or do certain things a certain way, they really understand that. So the Coker method, what we do is we have a little routine before we start the track. So the dog goes 
you know, because if you just get the dog out and run out of, of the car and put them on a leash and say, let's go, you know, sometimes they're confused. They're dogs. Uh, <laughs> people forget that sometimes when you mm -hmm. try to do tracks and stuff like that. Like the first time I ever did a drug search with my dog, I didn't have a routine. I was new to it. You know, I just got out of school. We do 30 days for these dogs mm. and and then we're you know basically on the street went to do the search around the car she found a piece of beef jerky on the ground ate it <laughs> so, so a little embarrassing but i learned so now i have a routine i go out i say you know let's, let's find you get these in my nice high canine handler voice you know get her all excited and i squeak her uh kong wubba. i have a kong wubba, always for drug detection same mm -hmm. toy every time squeak it twice so the coker method what you do is you have a routine it, and it varies from handler to handler but get out of the car you walk the dog around where you think the scent was where you or where there's an article if somebody drops an article that's always helpful walk them around it let them kind of take things in then you down them put their harness on hook the leash up to the back of the harness and you take off and that kind of gets them in that mindset. So that's how I would approach somebody escaping from a prison because mm -hmm. you're going to have, hopefully, you know, there's camera systems, there's there's a, a point of exit that you can see and kind of determine because that's where it really becomes difficult is when you don't know which way somebody went. Now you're solely relying on your dog, but they're tough. Tracks are tough, especially in, in uh, more urban areas, mm -hmm. um, a lot of concrete, concrete doesn't really hold older as well as grass and dirt and everything like that. But it's something that's super rewarding when it works. Being a handler in that kind of case, I'd be like, okay, this guy is no joke. Like yeah. I need 12 officers. It's 19, you know, what was it? 1980, I think it yeah. was mm -hmm. or, or something like that. We need uh, uh, helicopters. I don't <laughs> think FLIR was around, but <laughs> we'll try I mean, it. Cavalry for that one. So a Huber walk away that happens at the jail level. Have you ever had to do one for something, you know, as, as quote unquote simple as that? Generally, they'll they'll call me to to try it. They don't I don't want to say they don't take those as seriously, but <laughs> they, I mean, it's different, you know, because I remember the first time I was working when somebody walked away in Huber and it came in, it, they they code it here in our jurisdiction as an escape. And I mm -hmm. thought, oh, boy. Oh boy, we got an escape, you know, I got all excited. Like, you know, I'm thinking like jailbreak or something or, you know, no, it was just somebody that didn't report for the job that they were supposed to do or whatever. And Fell asleep didn't. or doing meth in the yeah. bathroom. It's fine. fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, I've done, I've done tracks for some big crimes. I've done tracks for kids that walked away from their house and, mm -hmm. you know, couldn't be found. And, and in most cases, Having a scent article, especially with like missing people, elderly people, having like a pillow or a piece of cloth, the coker method that we use also, you can take a piece of gauze and you just set it where they've been. Like if they got out of bed, if it's a person with Alzheimer's, they got out of bed, you set a piece of gauze down mm -hmm. on the bed for about five minutes and it collects their scent. You put it in a Ziploc bag, you bring it with you, you start the track from their house. Hopefully you have a, you know, a direction of travel from the place. And then if you lose the scent, you can pull that plastic bag out, put the gauze on the ground, redirect the dog and see if you can pick the track back up. Wow. Yeah. And I used to think, you know, like when I went to this, I went to this class for it and I thought, you know, some of this stuff seems like witchcraft. There's no way. Because <laughs> um, the instructor, well, the instructors had us on State Street in Madison, which is a very busy street. And they said, we're going to do a track. You're going to do a scent article and your dog is going to find somebody in this crowd. And I thought, you guys are insane. You're absolutely <laughs> insane. I'm not taking my dog on one of the busiest streets and one of the probably the least police friendly areas. Drunk you know, central. The, <laughs> so I thought this is this is madness. This is madness. And we did it and she nailed it. 
Sure shitty. Yeah. Um, And they showed us another one that, yeah, they showed us another one that blew my mind that, you know, say you have a convenience store robbery and the clerk was in there and you have two officers responding. So when we get there, you have everyone that was at the scene, and this can be tough, especially in larger jurisdictions, but you have everybody that was at the scene stay in the, in the building. And what the dog does is it goes, all right, so I smell you. I smell you. I smell you. There's somebody missing here. Where did they go? And they go out the door and they start the track. And again, when I heard this, I thought, you guys are insane. Obviously, the drugs in Madison are really great, <laughs> but it worked. I mean, and it, it's not, you know, they didn't just send the person outside and have them standing around the corner. We did like a three quarter of a mile track from that and right to the person. So, wow. It's, it's, I mean, when it, when it works well, when you have a, a dog that's consistently trained, it's like a force multiplier for, for police. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I like talking about the stuff earlier. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what would your last meal be? What would your last meal be? It would not be Frito's corn chips. Yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> you know, it would be like red meat and potatoes. It would be like real food. Something guilt-free, right? And something that would take a long time to eat. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm going to be here for 12 courses and three desserts, and y'all just going to wait. Like like a French king. Yes. Just a glutton. <laughs> what would yours be, County? Mine, I would probably, you know, I would probably just have a, like a sampler platter of all my favorite things. Like, you know, like a quesadilla from Taco Bell, some sushi. <laughs> <laughs> just... I just want, I want to overload my taste buds on every single thing that is terrible for me. It's not going to be healthy sushi. It's going to be like shrimp tempura, like I said, Taco Bell, maybe a couple boneless wings, ultra spicy, a nice Guinness or something thick to wash it all down. That that would be it for me. See, here I am plotting my 12 course meal and you're going to have Taco <laughs> Bell? <laughs> Hey, tasty I mean, is tasty. I don't yeah. care if it's thirty percent beef. <laughs> to to each their own. <laughs> totally unrelated. Well, semi-related, I guess. It happened in a kitchen. We're going to talk about Matthew DeGroote. Uh, this is a much more current case. So this one, he's still in a mental hospital. In 2020, he had his most recent hearing, September of 2020. So this one isn't uh, 1970s, where many of the people listening weren't alive. In this case, Matthew DeGroote was born in 1993 in Calgary, Canada. His father was a Calgary police officer. I think he was the inspector level, so relatively high ranking within the Calgary Police Department. This is the stabbing death of five young adults. It happened in one night, so not a serial killer, but a mass killing. Four males and one female, Joshua Hunter, Caitlin Paris, Jordan Segura, Lawrence Hong, and Zachariah Rathwell. Using a kitchen knife, DeGrood stabbed Rathwell seven times, Hunter six times, Segura once, Paris four times, and Hong four times. The knife was a 21-centimeter blade, which he used to kill all five victims. In this case, he believed he was killing medusas and werewolves in the name of God. Officers found a clove of garlic on DeGrood, who said it was for the vampires. He said, I'm the son of God. I was born in an incubator and I am an alien. I didn't enjoy killing at all. I said sorry, but the son of God was controlling me. On arrest, the officers talked about how slim-built DeGrude was able to fend off three officers and a German shepherd. They described it as almost superhuman. An ambulance took DeGrude to a Rocky View hospital to treat injuries he suffered from being taken down by a police canine. According to police, DeGrude did not react to any pain after a police dog bit his right arm. 
How would you react if a person, especially like a small young male subject, didn't react at all when Sasha latched on? That's, you know, honestly, that's that's a nightmare to think about because we've had instances here with people in excited delirium where mm-hmm. it seems like they have the strength of 10 people. You know, I mean, you send your dog in and you hope that it, they're able to subdue, subdue them. But I mean, he was taken to the hospital, obviously, it said for injuries. So there was an effectiveness in that mm-hmm. as far as uh, the dog did its job. But I don't know how I would react because we have people get pinched through the suit that we wear and they, they scream. So I can't imagine, like, I, it would be like, yeah, I'm fighting Satan today. I don't know how to do this. I'm famous for talking a possessed baby on the head <laughs> with a crucifix and a poor game. So <laughs> I don't know if I'd be the best person <laughs> to handle that. But honestly, that, that it would be super intimidating. We had we had an incident like this locally where, but the person was really strong and a, a boxer, mm-hmm. and they were able to to actually knock the canine out for a brief period. And I mean, you just you just got to bring people for that. That's all you can do. I, we have a policy here for excited delirium where we try to get them sedated as as soon as we can because of the history of people having cardiac episodes and and everything yeah. fighting with police like that. So I would probably be <laughs> leaning towards that. And I don't I don't know how I would handle it, honestly. I, it would be really crazy to, to see somebody take a dog bite on the arm and just shrug it off, basically. I can't find any video or pictures of what the wound looked like. But the fact that he was taken to the hospital means that, it, I mean, it was at least something. It definitely got a hold of him, you'd think. Right. That's our standard procedure, whether you got... You know, if it broke the skin, uh, mm-hmm. we take the people, the individuals to the hospital. But I don't know, because I have to imagine if he was fighting to that degree, if you fight a dog that's that's fighting you, then teeth went over flesh every single time. So but if if uh, there wasn't any, ma- I would imagine there would be a note about surgery or something like that. So if the yeah. dog has a good good bite, then generally, if you have a dog that has a full mouth bite, it's honestly going to leave puncture and bruising. That's the goal. Like that's the outcome you want. You don't want to to cause major long-term damage or rip any tendons or or muscle or anything like that. You just want the dog to sink its teeth in and basically use it like a vice grip. Yeah, I didn't see anything about surgery, but he did like immediately go into a mental institution, like a hospital Mm -hmm. setting. So maybe it just wasn't noted. Yeah, I always, I tell uh, when I was a training officer, I used to tell our our new new kids, you, you're you're tough until you meet somebody that's not afraid to die, mm-hmm. and then you're not tough anymore. Yeah, then then it gets real. So and I mean, God that's speak. a intimidating thing. Yeah, nope. <laughs> everybody's super. Nope. Everybody's Superman for the first uh, two years, probably. Everybody's Superman, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden that uh, reality hits. That one call, indestructible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Degrude ended up in May. 20, on May 25th, 2016, he was found not criminally responsible for the 2014 killings due to a mental disorder. Specifically, they listed schizophrenia. He's currently a patient at an Alberta hospital uh, where he was denied increased privileges in September of 2020 due to findings that he remains a significant threat to the safety of the public. Right. So he will, that, will not be leaving. Yeah, that's not, that's honestly not totally surprising. I haven't seen anything to that magnitude, but I've We've had cases where somebody does something pretty bad and has a mental condition and they don't serve jail time. But I think I'm, I'm sure you can speak on this a little bit, too, with your experience. But people think it's like a get out of jail free card, but it's it's honestly not like that at all. Yeah, no, just different, different kind of jail. 
Right. Yep. So a little bit ago, Grunt had a question about the prisoner oh. escape and capture in Arizona. And I don't know anything about that. I don't think I do either. Two inmates escaped. Couple fights off Arizona prison escapees just before they were captured. 70 G's for a reward. Oh, wow. They escaped on January 23rd and no one knew where they had gone or who they came into contact during the 110 hours they were on the run. Wow. And looking at the footage, it looks like I, I see some body cam stills. It looks like they were uh, they were probably mostly on foot. They look yeah. pretty dirty and disheveled. So, <laughs> yeah. They, do you guys do you guys have uh, drones in your area now? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's that's the first thing I would be asking for in that case because we have FLIR capabilities with those. Apparently they broke into a house and the couple inside just started kicking them <laughs> from, from what I'm waiting. The, do <laughs> the, the, the sound of her dog barking got her out of bed and then she heard someone trying to get into her home through the doggy door. She thought it was her oh. husband trying to get inside oh, but then saw someone's hand that was not her husband's. Does he use the doggy door? I have questions. Yes, Does I have. Does he use the doggy door on a regular basis? What? Oh, that's just Bill. Bill's coming home. He likes he's, to go through the doggy he's door. A, he's drunk. Forgot his keys. This is fine. Oh, uh, he was at the bar a little late tonight. Oh, God. It looks like they were, one of them was sentenced for kidnapping and second degree burglary, and the mm. other was mol molestation of a child and sexual abuse. Oh, uh, whoops. So they're. Still looking at significant time. Yeah. It looks like uh, history's got a question. Is there a sweet spot for the for the dog to bite? And the answer to that is there's a couple that we do train them. The leg or calf is one. If that's available, if somebody's hiding in an area where we can't easily access it, the arm or like the tricep, lower bicep area is kind of the, the default for a combative person. Or I don't know what the, the technical term for it is, but the flank, like your your back, the back of your rib cage, where you, your uh, <laughs> yeah, where your shoulder okay, muscle kind of goes down. Yeah, that one that one I wouldn't wouldn't want to get bit in, but that's like a you know if somebody's running or or fighting and the dog has to take them down from behind or the butt. I mean, don't don't discount the butt. That one uh, there's a lot of surface area there, so depends on the butt. <laughs> Those are the, the kind of the areas that we train. Yeah. And that, that training's done long before we ever even see the dogs. Like they have, they have sleeves that have what are, what are called bite bars and they kind of train the dog to, to put their mouth on a person in a certain way. Oh, interesting. Mom said he was in the dog house and wanted in and I, I, oh. I was, I was chuckling. Sorry. <laughs> well, um. Speaking of dog houses, let's talk about a serial killer. That has, right. a, that has a canine tie, loose canine tie. Uh, another born in the 70s, but, but his shootout was in 2016. He had five victims between July and August of 2016. He was, in his youth, a high school athlete. He was recruited to a university football team. And after one semester, he dropped out and returned to Alaska to deal drugs and participate in dogfighting. His name was James Dale Ritchie, and he's known as the Anchorage Serial Killer. On July 3rd of 2016, he shot Brianna Foise and Jason Nutter Sr. At near a bike path. On July 29th, he shot his childhood friend's son. His name is Travion Kindle Thompson and left this scene by stealing the victim's bicycle and riding it home. He actually left the bicycle in front of his house. Someone spotted it and then they still didn't consider him a suspect at the time. 
weird. Oh, no. Um, yeah. August, and then on August 28th, he shot Kevin Turner and Bryant DeHussen in a park. Forensics eventually linked the murder weapon, a Colt Python 357 revolver, in all five murders. So they had a composite sketch at the time. And on November 12th, Officer Salau attempted to make contact with Richie as a witness in an unrelated crime. It was something like not paying for a cab. And he saw Richie, <laughs> he saw Richie walking down the sidewalk and tried to stop him. When the guy didn't stop, he followed him in the squad almost two city blocks to get him to stop and talk. He talked to him on the, the PA and told him, you know, stop, come back here, talk to me. Suddenly, Richie turned, approached the squad, and opened fire on Salo, hitting him six times. Salo exited his vehicle and returned fire while physically making contact with Richie. Sergeant Patsky of the K-9 unit spotted this and fired upon Richie. Salo survived the encounter and was released after seven surgeries and ten days in the hospital. Richie died of numerous gunshot wounds. Oh, wow. So, canine officer, would you even get your dog out? Or do you just no. jump out and start shooting? No, <laughs> yeah. I would not get my dog out. So, that's a, that, I mean, that's something, though, that some some people don't really take into account. And first of all, like, kudos to to those guys for, for facing facing that. I mean, as a as a canine officer, you're kind of expected to be in the mix of things, especially with, with something like that. But we've had, you know, I've had people like, oh, we got an armed subject in this house and he threatened to shoot his his spouse and, you know, let's send the dog in to find him. Well, I'm not going to send my dog into a gunfight because my dog is not armed. Um, yeah, no. So I always tell people, and they never think about it because, you know, people get excited. Let's use the dog. Let's mm -hmm. search the house with the dog because it's fun and exciting to see the dog get somebody. But then I say, all right, so if I send my dog into this house and the guy is hiding and she finds him and he shoots her, now we have an armed barricaded subject and a deceased canine. Mm -hmm. So we're back where we started, but we're, you know, we're short one extra tool that we would normally have. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I've thought a lot about, you know, in certain situations, because in law enforcement, as you know, you can't prepare for every possibility. Mm -hmm. um, there's no, there's no template for how things are going to go. So I think the only time I would maybe think about doing this is if it was a hostage, if he, if, you know, this, this individual had a hostage and sending my dog would create enough of a distraction that I could, I, I could either ensure the safety of the person or be able to take a shot myself, you know, with, with a clear view and, and not have anyone else be in danger. And that's the only time I would send my dog into a gunfight like that. Yeah. Potentially risking the dog. I, I, you know, I was saying it more as a joke because equal force, if someone's shooting, I would hope oh, that yeah. the first tool but would be a gun. <laughs> people ask, I, you would be completely shocked how many times people have asked me to, to put my dog in a situation. I had an administrator, Hey, we're going to do school shooter training. How would you feel about getting the dog involved and, and helping us search for the bad guy? And I said, let's, let's stop for a second. <laughs> let's back up. <laughs> we have an active shooter in a building. We have probably multiple wounded. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to look like to my dog. That's not going to be something where they're going to go, this is a bad guy and this is a good guy. Mm -hmm. There's there's another, there's a wounded person. I should leave that person alone. No, if somebody's screaming, that's going to attract the attention of my canine. It's just not, it's not an environment where things are going to be successful. But, but people, like I said, people don't really think about that. They don't really uh, always take that into consideration when they're 
thinking about how to use the dog, they just get excited. Like the dog can find people. Let's go find this person. Well, okay, slow down. Just think about it. <laughs> Back just it up a second. It. Let's let's yeah, keep the dog, tool. Yeah, my dog isn't uh, isn't going to jump up and you know run by and knock the gunman out and take his gun away. You know, drag not, it back. It's like Sasha's not going like, to shoot the gun out of their hand. What? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, she's going to do a backflip and throw a throwing star. That's oh, ninja so. stars. I get it. All right. <laughs> and Dame has it exactly right. Ed, <laughs> not understanding field work. Shocking. Crazy. Shocking. <laughs> you mean you have to do the job first? What? No, <laughs> no, silly. And that's my job as a handler is to make sure that I don't put her into a situation where where something's going to happen to her needlessly or um, she's going to be utilized correctly. Um, yeah. You know, there's just times like we, we take severity of a crime into consideration when we're deciding whether to deploy our dog. Like we have a shoplifter that runs. I'm not sending my dog after a running shoplifter. I mean, the the Mars bar or, you know, I sound like an old man saying that, but, <laughs> you know, the ten dollar pair of boxers or whatever isn't worth somebody going to the hospital for yeah. so mm -hmm. and another thing that comes up a lot is is just general safety we had a abandoned middle school that some kids were were running around in um, you know and, and possibly stealing stuff and they said oh have your have your dog search the the building and this is a building with nails and glass and mm -hmm. um you know, lots of things that are on the ground and could hurt them. And he said, you know, you're just going to have to clear it. You're going to have to do a, do your own search. I, I will do what I can to a safe degree, but you don't send your dog into a situation like that because you're just going to get, get it hurt. And, and uh, that's going to actually set the dog back as well, because the next time it goes to search a building, it's going to say, well, the last time I did this thing, mm -hmm. you know, I sliced my, my pad open and bled everywhere. So I'm going to be a little bit slower and more apprehensive this time. Yeah. And realistically, they could do it just fine themselves. <laughs> just fine, yeah. yeah, it's a weird kind of dichotomy working with a dog because people expect you to do things that you probably shouldn't do or they should understand that you're not really able to do. And then when you want them to use you or you have that thing where it's like, you know, we get in a chase with a guy that had robbed somebody at gunpoint, threw the gun out the window. So now I know that it's, you know, as far as I know, that's out of play still trying to tactically be safe and everything, but he flees on foot, crashes his car, flees on foot. And I am already throwing my door open. I'm ready to go get him. Got the dog behind me and one of the cops in front of me, I'm third in line in the chase, goes and tackles a guy. And it's like, come on, man. <laughs> you like, you ruined my fun. I get to do this. This is, when, <laughs> this is where she shines, you know? Yeah. So, and he was a big guy. So he looked like he was wearing a bite suit, which honestly would have been ideal. Oh, yeah. So... It doesn't always work out that way. We've had a lot of success lately, but I mean, there's a lot of back and forth, you know? There's another question in here. What other areas would you two like to work other than your current position? Oh boy. I don't know. <laughs> Realistically, so I went to school, got a bachelor's and got hired in law enforcement. And my bachelor's was in criminal justice, which if I could go back in time, no. <laughs> but looking back, I would have, I was supposed to get a minor in computer science and I would have kept my minor because then I ended up going on and deciding I'm going to get a master's degree and I'm going to get it in a computer science field. So I have a master's of science in digital forensic science, which if I just, you know, skipped back and did the minor, I probably could have used work experience to, you know, skip the master's part and just go into private sector and make 
all kinds of money. But now here I am with a master's degree and I'm still kind of in this position where I know enough to get myself into trouble, but not enough to really feel comfortable leaving. So I would probably go back, do that, and then just be in computer science, do digital forensics for, you know, like incident response. So for banks, um, when people try to hack into a bank or hospital systems, I would do that instead. Just because when I was a kid, I thought, I don't want to sit at a desk every day. I don't, I can't do it. I won't be able to sit at a desk every day. And now I'm like, I sit at a desk every day and talk to idiots. <laughs> like, at least if I did that, I wouldn't have to talk to idiots. I could talk just be by myself. <laughs> yeah, so. I think, I think for me, it would be, I love doing video editing, mm -hmm. like, or production, video editing production. That would be, I, I don't even know how you would get into that field. Obviously, I'm sure you'd have to have um, a bachelor's degree or even further than that. But that's something I've always taken an interest in. But the computer science thing is something that I've thought about. And I, I exactly the same as you said, I've thought, I don't know if I could give up, you know, doing the fun stuff. And then I go talk to two neighbors that don't like each other because <laughs> they knocked their mailbox over once or something. And it's like, you know, maybe an office isn't really that bad. Uh, maybe it's not too terrible can... to not worry about that stuff. So yeah, I think that's, that's what we would end up so now we're kind of to the fun that is current events. This morning I was like, we need something lighthearted because I know we're going to talk about something sad. So let's talk about something lighthearted. And of course, instead, we ended up on a murder for hire. So three men are facing murder charges after two women were killed in a murder for hire plot gone wrong. Man A hired man B and C to kill man A's rape victim, who was set to testify against him. Man A was a convicted sex offender previous 12-year-old victim, and it was accused of third-degree rape against his niece. One of the men he hired went to the victim's house and asked for her at the door. The rapist's sister answered the door. So this would be obviously the niece's mother, Brittany Cormier, answered the door and claimed to be the victim. She was shot by man C. Her neighbor, Hope Nettleton, was also there and tried to fight off the shooter and was shot as well. A couple sources say that Brittany Cormier's daughter and stepdaughter were hiding in a closet when she was murdered. This would be the niece, so the rape victim. The shooters confessed and named Man A as the man who hired them after an investigation. All three men have been booked in on two counts of first-degree murder, and the bond has been set at $2 million for each man. Officials said they are working to increase the bonds. Yeah, I see the, I see the, the, the initial suspect. His name is Bo, B-E-A-U-X. Yeah. Cormier. So that is maybe the most Louisiana <laughs> name. Yes, this was Louisiana. I think, I think it was issued to him by the government of Louisiana, <laughs> uh, by the state house when he was born. Yeah, he was born with a tattooed somewhere on him. <laughs> somewhere, like a like a barcode or something. So, but yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty crazy. I how I, dumb do you have to be? Pretty pretty dumb, apparently. Well, it's like uh, we pulled three idiots, Larry Moe and Curly, out of the swamp and set them up on an absolute shit show and this poor kid is hiding in what well, one she was sexually assaulted and now she's hiding in a closet when her her mom and her neighbor are shot what a yeah. mess and i was looking for something uplifting where we could go oh a happy thing and stumble on this mess i don't Dumpster think after fire. 2020 happy and uplifting is is too common no not too common but yeah it it doesn't seem like when you have these like like murder for hire doesn't seem to be something that requires any kind of IQ test or credentials. Well, yeah, um, look at the Tiger King. It doesn't generally go. What's that? Yeah, Tiger King, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't require it doesn't require uh, require much to uh, to try to get that going, and not a lot of forethought 
in it either. <laughs> Did you see Pistol Pete's comment? He said murder can be lighthearted if you apply yourself. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we can we can chuckle at it uh, when Mister Beau Cormier uh, f- finds himself in uh, a happier place. On that fun note, now we're going to talk about something again depressing happened this morning. Something that you can kind of you know reflect on maybe at the end. Remember a good life. So this morning, FBI agents in Sunrise, Florida, were executing child pornography search warrant. Two FBI agents are confirmed dead and three injured after the 6 a.m. search warrant in Sunrise, Florida, devolved into gunfire. The suspect was reportedly barricaded in their home until the suspected gunman is believed to have shot and killed himself. The deceased are special agents Daniel Alfin and Laura Schwarzenberger, veteran agents of the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force program. Alfin had been an FBI special agent since 2009, according to an affidavit in the Pedrosa case, which is a political case involving child victims. He said that he had testified in court more than 20 times in more than 10 federal districts and was assigned to the FBI's Child Exploitation and Human Trafficking Task Force in Miami. Alfin was also involved in a large-scale FBI hacking campaign known as Operation Pacifier, designed to investigate crimes on the dark web and seize child pornography from a website called Playpen. Alfin testified in federal court that FBI and Department of Justice executives had approved a plan for the FBI to briefly operate the Playpen site after they seized it in an effort to identify users. Playpen founder Stephen W. Chase of Naples was sentenced to 30 years in prison in 2017. So they honeypotted uh, Playpen a few years back, and it was a big thing. How dare the FBI allow a child pornography site to continue to exist? But in the meantime, they were also capturing the bare IP addresses of so many people who were trying to collect child pornography. In 2018, Schwarzenberger spoke to a local TV station in West Palm Beach to warn of a sextortion scam involving con artists who would falsely claim they hacked into people's webcams and then demand money to prevent the release of compromising photos. It's very traumatizing for the victim, she said. The reputation is on the line. So we have two examples of of good law enforcement here that that passed away because of a a child pornography search warrant. We talked about it a little on a a different um, platform that I'm a part of, but do you get involved at all in the child sexual exploitation warrant uh, when when they're executed in your area, Donnie? We haven't had that many that I'm aware of. We do have a detective that is dedicated to those um, investigations. Um, We just recently did a sting for human trafficking mm-hmm. where we saw had undercover people setting up meetings at a, at a local hotel. And I, I am brought in for those because obviously the victims, we are not concerned with, they run, they run. We're not worried about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to try to just catch up with them later. We're there for the people that are, uh, you know, grooming and, and using these individuals. So we are brought in for those. I generally, attend most search warrants when we do things like that because you know i i'm sure you know as well things can get out of hand or or can go south really quickly and and you got to have i think it's better to have every tool you can and we're a bigger agency so we can bring a lot of people to to those things um, mm-hmm. i know some of the smaller places you know they just go out and you, you do them and and bring a couple people and knock down the door and stuff like that but we try to stay as safe as possible, and it's it, it's terrible when things turn out this way. Mm-hmm. Is this something that, you know, is that a, an ethics discussion that you've had uh, with the FBI turning the uh, 
turning the side or keeping the site on and then turning that around and turning that into a larger investigation. Cause I think there's some questions of ethics that you could have there, but you know, part of me says, you know, if you're going to catch the head guy, then, then uh, that's who deserves to really go down for it. Obviously all the people that are, are, are using sites like that at a lower level deserve prison and everything like that. But to catch like a major player in that, it seems like it would be something that you'd want to try to do. Yeah. I believe he was caught first, and that's how they were able to continue the operation of the site. So kind of, I guess, where I wanted to come at this from is we do the child pornography search warrants, and I take part of them. And these search warrants, I mean, they're people who have nothing to lose when it comes Mm -hmm. to, you know, child sexual exploitation material. They're, They're not liked alive. They're not liked in prison. They're not liked out of prison. They're not liked anywhere unless it's another child molester. No one likes them. So they have when right. you're you're going there to accuse them of doing this, they have nothing to lose. Some yeah, I'm, of the I'm like gonna... eeriest uh, search warrants I've been a part of are those where you're just like, oh, this could go anyway. Right, and I, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm going to generalize, but every person that I've dealt with that that engages in that is is a coward in <laughs> one way or another. We've had people, you know, obviously. Uh, take their own lives after they mm-hmm. found that they were going to be. And and that's the fear. Like you said, with those are unpredictable. You're basically, you're not going to get another job. You're probably going to get, you're going to get beat up in prison or jail mm-hmm. or both. So they're unpredictable. And it's, you know, I, we were talking about doing tracks and having the hairs in the back of your neck stand up. Those are the search warrants that make me nervous. Like you said, because mm-hmm. you just don't know which way they're going to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are the cases the number of times that I've had people do just like hanky shit where you're like, this is something's not right. It's those cases. You know, we had a guy who another officer let him get a phone number out of his phone. So, of course, there's nothing left on the phone. But he 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 committed suicide after, even though we no longer had evidence of what he did. He still, you know, ended his life. And, um, you know, he was accused of a family member. So I don't think he was going to have much of a life regardless, but you know, he, he had a chance to get away with it and still offed himself. We've also had people threaten shootouts and things for, for cases like that child, child pornography or molestation cases where they, they say that they're going to do this in the end didn't, but still, you know, you end up on a all day call out sitting there staring at a door hoping they don't come out of it, to be honest. Right. And, or, you know, in the case, I, I remember distinctly, I took part in a search warrant that was for a child pornography case. And I walked into a house and, and went, oh, shit, <laughs> a guy who had, who was waiting for us. He knew, he knew we were coming, even though, you know, we didn't know for sure that we were coming. He, it was just one of those where he had been waiting days. He knew something was going to happen and he was just waiting didn't do anything, just was, you know, wiping his Xbox and doing whatever when we walked in. But like the first words out of his mouth was, I knew you were going to be here. (laughs) And you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) All right. Cool. Mm, No, thank you. So those are, you know, in this case, while devastating, one of those reminders of, you know, these these people have nothing to lose. Right. This very unfortunate, sad reminder of these suspects are the worst of the worst of people and on that Um, depressing note (laughs) (laughs) well i was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you a quick question cops by and large at least in my experience aren't very knowledgeable of 
you know, tech. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking, you know, like I, I have a lot of friends that, that I work with that play video games and some do, but most of them don't understand the workings of the computer. So when you guys do execute a search warrant like that, I mean, I, the last time we did one, I said, okay, unplug the router, unplug, you know, get, get the connection broken because, you know, that's a concern. You don't know if they have somebody that's going to try to wipe things remotely because mm -hmm. some of these people are very, very aware of what they're doing. Very, yeah. um, very good at, at these kind of things. So is there anything that you recommend as far as that goes, like protecting evidence and preserving evidence? Obviously not letting them have their phone yeah. is something <laughs> don't that's let them get, the get a phone number out of their phone. That would be, <laughs> don't let them manipulate the phone. You need a phone number? Oh, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. Uh, See, tell me who you I'm need. I'm picturing that in my head. And I'm like, I'm picturing this guy like, like sweating as he's like swiping. Furiously and swiping. And, yep. you know, <laughs> I'm just getting a phone number. Uh, it's just I a phone number. Oh, somewhere. gosh. What's um, his name again? Fuck. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. What, what do you do to uh, what do you do to preserve the evidence in that case? Um, if you're if you're if you're conducting the search warrant, because like I said, I don't think by and large, a lot of cops are super tech savvy when it comes to understanding, you know, how files can be deleted or accessed remotely and everything like that. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, phones, the first thing you want to do is not let them have their phone. Once they don't have their phone, if you have the ability to put it in airplane mode, generally my recommendation is always going to be talk to whoever your examiner is going to be. If you know who that person is, ask them what they want. You know, do you want me to put it in airplane mode? Do you want me to just put it in a Faraday, you know, bag and bring it to you? Do you want me to wrap it in tinfoil? Do you want me to smash it in the sidewalk and just pretend I never saw it? Like, what do you want from me? Because every examiner has a different thought process. Or maybe every examiner knows you better and can say, uh, I don't trust you to put it in airplane mode, so I'm just going to ask you to bring it to me. Turn it off, whatever. Wrap it in tinfoil, bring it to me. And she's but, talking to you, Pete. <laughs> um, so, and sometimes that's that's what they want. Or sometimes they're just meticulous and that's how they want their, their evidence handled. When it comes to phones, the best thing you can do is get it off the network in whatever way that is. Like I said, tinfoil is a, a Faraday bag in a, in a pinch. Um, you have to wrap it two different ways. So essentially no signal can escape. So wrap it, you know, long way and then wrap it the short way uh, on the phone at least once, probably more than once so that it no longer gets Wi-Fi so that, you know, the antenna, none of the antennas work. You don't want it to be able to reach out and get any kind of signal, Bluetooth either and nothing. We want to wrap it in all the tinfoil you have. They make bags for that. It's just like a little, some of them are see-through even, but you can still use the phone. So manipulate the phone to get it into airplane mode without risking them getting that signal. Because for example, my phone, all I have to do, and I've done it before because once upon a time I put my phone on top of my squad car and I drove away <laughs> and We've all done that. my phone didn't stay there. And the nice people in the building nearby picked it up and uh, called in because the first thing I did was went to, I have an Android, I went to Google Find My Phone and I changed the the lock screen to say, please call, please call this number when you find this phone. And they did, thank God. But if they didn't, I was going to delete that, you know, wipe that phone because I can, I can do that. You literally Google Find My Phone and if you have it act, uh, turned on on your phone, you can click one button from any web browser that you can log into and wipe your phone. Same mm. thing with Apple. You can log in from any. So if I walked out, say I, for example, got arrested today and was released on recognizance tomorrow, I could walk into Likely. 
any, <laughs> yeah, 2020, 2021, whatever. <laughs> um, but walked out to any computer. I could type in the password for my Gmail account, go to find my phone and wipe my phone. And if it has any access to the network, my phone is now garbage to you because you have nothing. So you want to make sure that that phone can't get to a network. The same thing with a computer. People have encryption on their computer. So for example, if my computer is on, you can probably access it. But if you pulled the plug and you took it to your office, you would no longer be able to access anything on my computer because it's encrypted. So unless you have my encryption key, again, it's now garbage to you. Uh, it's a it's a paperweight. You said unplug, <laughs> unplug the router. That's depending on what you're doing. That's good because now they don't have Wi-Fi. But obviously, if it's a cell phone, now they have you know they they still have service. Um, right, right. But another thing is Wi-Fi storage is only RAM based storage. So as soon as you turn it off, you lose all the data. So if you have like a child pornography case where you want to know for sure who's connected to the network best way to do that is live forensics on the router. But if you don't have an examiner with you, you're not going to be able to do that anyways. Right. There's also an app for your phone called Fing, F-I-N-G. And you can log into, if you're brave enough, <laughs> log into their Wi-Fi network. So if it's an open network, which 99.9% .9 of these people's networks are, uh, no password, you can just log in and then see all the devices on the network. So it will log into the network and essentially reach out to everybody, knock on their door and say, what are you? And it will tell them the MAC address. And then from the MAC address, the app identifies what it is. So now you can see all the whatever the devices are that are on the network. So say you do a search warrant, you go clean up all the shit in the house. You think you have everything. You pull up thing. And now you see that there's one computer somewhere, oh. somewhere still on the Wi-Fi. And it turns out it's in the attic or whatever. It's a something, but it's hidden somewhere. If you didn't do that one last check before you left, now you wouldn't know. So, yeah. Did I answer your well, question or just confuse the shit out of you? No, you did. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, yeah, I mean, because, like I said, you know, it's not something that cops deal with a lot of on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, like a lot of the people I work with couldn't tell you how to set a, you know, what kind of encryption keys are used to secure a network or, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So, it's it's uh, we're kind of behind on that. Uh, yeah. in law enforcement there's not a lot of training on it you know no it's and like the, it's like the, the icp with magnets how do they work i don't know you know <laughs> they just do well so. and that's another thing when it comes to law enforcement training on this is it's people from the 80s before the internet was really a thing <laughs> trying to provide training to people you know who you know your millennials or your your what are they zennials the the newer zoomers the, the, the babies <laughs> When the babies get hired, they come on and they tell you, like, this is how everything works. But but you have those and they're not teaching you anything because they're not a trainer. And who's going to listen to the, the baby on the department who uh, oh, yeah. can't, can't do anything? So there's this, like, disconnect, especially in law enforcement, because it doesn't pay. Why would I, right. as an IT professional, yeah. come back and train cops on how to do things when, one, they're probably not going to listen. But two, it, it doesn't pay me anything. Like, it's, is it worth my time? So I see a question in the chat is, how do you get into the phone to go into airplane mode without a warrant? The courts have allowed for a reasonable amount of manipulation to prevent the destruction of evidence. So you're operating on exigency. If you do not put the phone in airplane mode or wrap it in tinfoil or whatever, the evidence will be destroyed. So it's, why do I go into the house when I hear drug people flushing toilets? Because <laughs> they're destroying Pete, evidence, uh, you know. Pete comes from the Ninth Circuit, so he's a little skittish on searching oh. anything. So, yeah. um, 
But I mean, because I just ran into this the other day, actually, on a drug investigation. Um, there's a new, I, I don't know if it's uh, the new Android uh, OS that has it, but when you try to go into airplane mode, you actually need a password to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple still is, is behind on that, which is good for us, but not great. You know, Android, any, any kind of manipulation you do with the phone, if you want to turn off the Wi-Fi or the cell signal or put it in airplane mode, it now makes you do a password, which means you're going to have to put it in, uh, in one of your, you know, protective bags and mm-hmm. try to do it that way, I would assume. Yeah. Like I said, the tinfoil, worst case, go to the Dollar Tree and buy a roll of tinfoil, wrap that right. sucker till it looks like a little tinfoil brick, <laughs> your, little cocaine, your little cocaine brick, and then take it, <laughs> toss it in the evidence locker. But uh, yeah, um, and if you don't know if you have the ability to go in without a warrant, that's that's the other option. Then your examiner has to figure out how to get it into airplane mode once you have the warrant or consent. You'll be surprised how many people who are doing bad shit will give you consent. Uh, Like, uh, yeah, I'm downloading child pornography. You want to search my device? Sure. Because they think they think for some reason if they say no or if they say yes, you might not do it. (laughs) I've had a guy. He's literally exchanging material with an underage victim. And I'm like, so just going to ask, just to throw it out there, see how you're feeling about this. Would you mind signing this consent form and uh, giving me consent to search your device? Yeah, no problem. I said, okay, you got to give me your password and your, your pin code here. And he writes it all down. I leave the room, plug it in, and I'm, I'm continuing my interview. So I'm still talking to the guy the whole time. I tell him, you know, at the beginning, you know, if you, if you change your mind, just let me know. And then I keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. And uh, like an hour and a half later, I go check on the phone and it's dumped. So I have everything now and I come out and I'm like, okay, so I'm just going to tell you that I looked, uh, you know, I previewed your phone and um, (laughs) we need to talk about some things. And he's like, oh, what? And he's like, I didn't realize you were going to search it. And I was like, where do you think I went? (laughs) And he's like, well, I thought if I told you that you would just take me at my word. And I was like, in what world is law enforcement going to go? Yeah, you seem like a stand up guy being accused of molesting a child. This is fine. I'm just going to leave it. This will be our little secret. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. (laughs) Idiots. I'm glad they're idiots, though. Yeah. On the the digital forensics, uh, (laughs) I know recently they've been training dogs to find thumb drives and yeah and and smaller devices especially in those kind of cases for like child pornography and stuff mm-hmm. uh, famously with uh subway jared yeah. that's what they used yeah they used and uh i had a lot of people ask me you know how do they how do they train the dogs to do that and it's like i talked about before they find there's a certain i believe it's a certain acid in electronic storage devices and and that's all it is it's it's taking everything and using process of elimination to find that one thing so what they do is they say all right the dog's finding the, the drives. Now we know the drives are made of plastic, metal, you know, whatever circuits are made out of or nodes and stuff like that. So they just one by one proof the dog off of that thing. They break it down into each individual piece that they can. And then once they get to the adhesive, the dog alerts on the adhesive and that's how they find them. That's how drugs drugs are done. Same way. They put them in plastic bags and they'll take the plastic bag away, put it in a metal container and then they'll take the metal away. And then basically through the process of elimination, dog goes, I smell cocaine that's cocaine i know that's cocaine so now i'm gonna alert to this every time fascinating just a little background there dogs are (laughs) dogs are too smart (laughs) they're incredibly smart (laughs) i met one of those dogs at the the national conference it was shortly after subway jared oh yeah yeah i mean it's it's crazy what they can do they can detect just about anything that has any kind of odor it's Mm -hmm. it's absolutely insane yeah what do they call them esd detection yep 
ESD, mm-hmm. something like that. That's that's where the money is. I would love to get out to go back, circle back to that question earlier. If I could work with dogs for the rest of my career, I would do it 100 percent because oh, yeah. it's super super rewarding. It's fun. You get to go to work every day. You know what's not to love about that? But it's uh, in this job, it's very temporary. The guy who does, I think there's a the grant program that he gives away dogs. I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. the the ESD dogs or whatever the electronics dogs. Super, very nice guy. <laughs> very cool program to to give away. You know, a dog that definitely costs a lot of money to train up and and you know is kind of a proprietary skill. Yeah. To teach a dog to do something like that, certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't have been thought of. You know. 10 years ago. And to, to be to be perfectly fair, I've done a child uh, sexual exploitation material warrant that had um, Polaroids in it. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, <laughs> you know, 2021 is my, will be my 10 year anniversary of being in law enforcement. So it hasn't been, I mean, it's been long, but it hasn't been that long. And there was, I mean, a Polaroid collection of um, materials. So we're, we're not that far from pre-computer days. There are still offenders out there who are in that that mentality mm-hmm. now did you have any of the newer officers or or anything ask you what they were or how yeah, they were there were what are they five and a half inch floppy disks five oh. yeah oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was this yeah i was i was one of the newer ones but there was another agency assisting you the fbi was there on that one too this was a a production of obviously with polaroids but it was a production of child pornography case that went federal and a, a newer officer from another agency was like, do we want these? And I was like, oh, how would you even look at them? <laughs> like, yeah. do you have a five and a half inch floppy disk reader somewhere? Like, okay, good luck. Godspeed. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. So and they had like normal, the normal like three and a half slider floppies from our youth. Oh. Yeah, they had those you know, too. I, you couldn't even hold one modern photo on that. I don't no. think. Like, you couldn't hold JPEG on that Mm-mm. if you wanted to. Yeah. Nope. Thumbnails, Drive maybe. Full. Yeah. Thumbnails. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a wild search warrant because it was one of those ones where you're like, no one saw this. No one saw this before right now. Uh, the guy wouldn't let anyone go into the basement, but the kids could go into the basement and the wife and none of the family could go into the basement. And you're like, no one was suspicious. If someone told me I couldn't go into a part of my home, th- that person Red would flag. no longer live in my home. <laughs> Red flag. Immediate. Pack, pack your shit. <laughs> we yeah. had we had something like that where um the guy was he had a camera system set up an event in a bathroom. Oh. And he would insist that the kids, he was an uncle to these two kids, and he would insist that they use that bathroom. And I don't know how people didn't catch on. No, oh, I know. Because no, why would you need or it requires somebody to use a very specific bathroom yeah you know that's just bizarre not not normal behavior no not at all on a lighter note tell us a little bit about the costs associated with the canine my dog is dual purpose the costs Mm -hmm. really add up quickly you have to have the dog is 10 to 15 grand to start off and then training is something that always costs a lot you gotta send the handler to a school that costs even more you gotta outfit a vehicle with a with a kennel that's even more you gotta do all these things uh food any kind of vet bills so they i mean it adds up so it's something you definitely have to invest in yeah and in the day and age where you know not to get the political end of it but defund and shrinking budgets especially due to covid you know uh, jurisdictions that had play money no longer have play money because uh, they're not taking any money in because of corona and 
Lord knows what else. So it's it's wild to see now what departments are losing and what they certainly won't be gaining in the whole electronics detection right. world, unfortunately. Scouty has a question for you in the chat there. Okay, so you said you mentioned working with dogs and Ellie is short-lived, why so? But wouldn't it benefit the agency to keep training handlers because of the investment already in equipment and trainings? And the answer to that is it would. It definitely would be a benefit. I think a lot, a lot of departments fall. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, the Peter Principle. No. Um, it basically states that people rise to the level of their incompetence. Um, <laughs> well, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, there's expectations everybody has, like, oh, you should be a sergeant. Not everybody should be a sergeant. No, um, yeah. I think, you know, I, I think I'm a, a good handler. I'm a decent cop. I don't know if I would be a good sergeant, but there's always a push, you know, like oh, you can't handle dogs for your whole career. That'd just be a waste. I really like doing it and I have a lot of insight and experience and I, I would love to keep doing that. But, you know, that's just not how most departments work. They want you to, you got to show some ambition to do something else, show some more range or, or whatever, but I'd be happy handling dogs for the rest of my career easily. You mean you don't want to be admin? You don't want to brass it up? <laughs> you sure? I've seen what they go through. I'm I'm good. You, I mean, you I'm pause? Good. You positive? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah I but they. Uh, I mean, that's that's something that I, I think it's always good to have experience and have people on board that that know how to how to handle dogs because it's like coming out to the street first time is terrifying because the first time I sent my dog after somebody, she ran alongside of them just jogged with them like they were friends you know like hey what's up what are we doing here where are you going buddy what you, why, why are you going so fast where are you running what don't you have treats or something what are we doing here and you know you like like that's where experience can really play a huge part in solving issues like that and preventing issues like that you know because we were a new new canine unit when that happened so we didn't really have a lot of insight and that does help so curious how did you get into being a canine did you guys have an established program was it something that was kind of like an interview and walk in or was it something that you kind of had to pitch um it was blind luck on my part honestly i did six years in the military and right before i got out i always wanted to to be a dog handler that's something i always aspired to do and they the military waved it in front of me and said, hey, if you re-enlist for four more years, you can handle a dog. And I was like, no. And so I went to this, you know, I went out, did a shotgun blast application process, went to every department I could find, got hired where I'm at now. And two years in, they established a canine program. And I said, you know, they gave, they picked their first handler. I wasn't experienced enough at the time. I didn't have the minimum requirements, but I kept it in the back of my mind and, and worked towards it. And then they opened it up again. It was only me and one other applicant, um, which is not, it seems like that's kind of common these days. Like when I first started, everybody was applying for SWAT or Honor Guard or all these other, you know, um, extracurricular teams. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't happen as much anymore, but I got really, really lucky that it opened up and there was only one other person that applied and I was able to get it. That's super, I mean, super cool for you. I guess, has it been a struggle since you've been in it or did the blind luck just kind of carry and you've been super fortunate and lucky throughout the whole time? It's been, it's been a struggle for sure because um, me and the other handler were only, he was, he was about three years on or two years with the dog by the time that I got the job. So we're, we were figuring things out. We were doing a lot of experimenting with, you know, like we were having issues. The kind of like the outside thinking is you get this dog, the dog knows everything and you tell the dog what to do and it does whatever you tell it to do. And it's, <laughs> we have a saying as a handler, fix one issue, create two more. 
<laughs> and that's, I mean, that's, that's a real realistic mantra because there's so many different aspects that you have for being a dual purpose canine handler. You have to worry about your dog tracking. You have to worry about your dog engaging and you have to be able to recall your dog and to verbally out your dog from a bite. And you have to worry about, you know, if they're doing sense, are they alerting on something they shouldn't be alerting on? If they're doing, uh, we do article searches, which is something that not a lot of people know we do it where if somebody's holding something, a cell phone, a gun, you know, any, any item that can, can hold scent and they throw it, we can find that, you know, if it's evidence. Mm -hmm. um, so like an example I like to use, we had a shooting at a bar they found the vehicle and they said it was tucked way back in a, in a country club overnight. And they said, all right, well, we need to find, see if anything was, was dropped. We got to find some kind of evidence. Let's search the area. And I said, well, let me get my dog out. I'll run her around and see if she alerts to anything because it'll have human odor on it. We found the license plate for the vehicle that was pitched into the woods. And we found a, a set of bloody keys oh. that were also pitched in the woods. And I like to use that, that example because, you know, 10, 10, 15 cops, whatever's on a shift, or, you know, if you're smaller, like two or three, getting online, searching every inch, you're going to miss some stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, especially in high grass like that, you're probably not going to see a set of keys. You're probably just not going to have that kind of luck. She found those in five minutes. That part of it's really rewarding. And, you know, when you get things to work right and training works out, it's really awesome. My, my biggest fight so far has been in my utilization because our department has a you're a cop first, a canine handler second kind of mentality. And from a, mm. you know, like a manpower standpoint, I understand it. Mm -hmm. But there's so many times where I'm underutilized or not utilized when I should be. Mm -hmm. um, it gets frustrating. So it's a, it's a battle because I'm my dog's biggest advocate. If she's not getting the training she needs or if she's not getting the deployment she needs or she's not able to do her job, then it's, it's tough for, for both of us. She can regress if she's not being trained. It's all, everything's perishable in the dog world. You know, if they haven't done something for a really long time, they, it takes them a while to get rusty with it. So. Mm -hmm. Which is like the, any, any experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's been super rewarding when I've had, cause there's been times where people have relied on me for the big one. Like the guy shot up a house and ran into the woods, go find him, And we find him, And that's like, that's what keeps me going. And then the little kind of petty squabbles in between all of it's what <laughs> it's like you're recharging your battery, you know, mm -hmm. you, you drain and drain and drain and drain and they get the big one. It's like, oh, this was awesome. Uh, now I remember why I love this. And then it drain, 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 mm -hmm. drain, and go back down. But that's the part I love. I mean, my dog is awesome. We work great together. She listens super well. She's very smart, picks up everything very well. She's made it easy for me, which has helped if I <laughs> had a dog that was kind of slow or didn't didn't pick things up well. I don't know if I'd have stuck around with, with them as long as I have with her mm -hmm. um, because we have a five-year minimum commitment for, oh, okay. for the job. So mm -hmm. I want to do another one in a way and it's kind of up in the air right now if that'll happen or not. Another so. dog after Sasha you're saying? Yeah. Okay. yeah. She's nine. You know, she's, yeah. she's mm -hmm. smaller so she lasts. Generally, smaller dogs last longer than, than the really big ones mm -hmm. as far as the job goes because a lot of people ask me, you know, when do you retire the dog? When you tell them to give it up, and it's really like when you feel like they just can't do it anymore, like, mm -hmm. like certification, we do annual certification every year. We certify in every one of those areas that I mentioned. And if it ever gets to a point where I'm like, oh, she's, you know, she's really struggling to go down and, and get the guy in the bite suit or her nose just isn't as sharp as it used to be. She's missing some drugs. The problem is, is she hasn't shown that yet to where I'm concerned that she can't do the job. She's just defied 
you know, I thought if I have a nine-year-old dog, that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. decently old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a, you know, you're getting up there, but she's, she hasn't lost much of a step. She's a little slower than she used to be, but she still kicks butt. Everybody loves her, looks up to her. You know, I get to go out there, do my thing. And, in and she person, makes me look good. In person and on the internet. Everyone yeah, know, loves right? her. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a Twitter without my dog because she's a star <laughs> for sure. You gotta have a hook. Your hook. You gotta have a your hook. hook. Is Sasha? Yeah. That's marketing one hundred and one. I don't sure. <laughs> but you have a master's degree. You're supposed to tell me these things. Yeah, please. my master's degree is in nerd things. That you don't talk to oh. anyone. You don't talk to gotcha. anyone when you're doing them. The canine situation. Does that technically make you an expert witness in when it comes to um, canine? You know, in your area, in your jurisdiction. No, I'm I'm an expert witness in my dog. Okay. Um, but we have, so like when we go to a kennel, generally the person running them, and it's not always true because I've seen some shady ass kennels, but generally they're either ex cops or somebody that's been closely affiliated with law enforcement or military work. They are master trainers. Master trainers have different certifications. There's different national types and, and stuff, but they have certain requirements. Like for the association that I belong to, you have to handle three green dogs, which means untrained, you trained them from the ground up to completion, to certification, and and then handle them in order to become what's called a master trainer. And that would be your expert witness. So they're going to answer your questions about like apprehension, bite, and and all the, the meat and potato stuff. If you ever go to trial on it, tracking, how tracking works, how the dog is certified. But I'm, I'm the only thing that I'm the expert on is my, my own dog, because I'm the final authority, like the common belief. And I see it a lot on the street is your dog didn't sit or your dog didn't scratch. So how can you say it alerted? I watch my dog's behavior and I indicate when I think they're alerting. And we we have squad cams anyway, so it's it's easy to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am I am the expert on and carry all the training logs and all that stuff for my dog. So I'm the expert on on her. Okay. Interesting. Quick question in the chat. What are your thoughts on the fight of former military slash police adopting their former dogs? Well, I think that's something that I, I, I don't know how anyone would give one up, honestly. Like I think about, especially the military has been, been bad about that in the past. I don't think you should have to give that dog because it, it takes so long to build up a bond. Like a funny story I like to tell is I got my dog. We had been working together for eight months and all these guys that are real experienced were training with another department. All these guys were really experienced and they did what's called, they called um, respect drills. And basically, you go out into a field and just we go on a baseball diamond, it's fenced in, and you stand there. And the thought was, and I, I haven't looked at any of the, I don't know if there's any science behind it or any truth behind it, but the thought was eventually, if your dog respects you, it's going to follow you. If you turn left, it's going to go out in front of you and scout like, like they would in a pack. If you turn right, they're going to do the same thing. You stand still, eventually they're going to come back to you. My dog found a baseball, took it, and hid from me for 22 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> you just like you can't, uh, you can't, you can't replace that though because now, if we're on a perimeter, if we're doing a SWAT deployment, and I lay down, she literally just lays right next to me, just pushes right into me. If I'm kneeling in a SWAT stack, she will go right up against my leg, and she. I've had people yell. <laughs> In my direction, that like cops, and forgetting that I have a dog, and we had a suspect pop out one time on a on a track, and the cop spotted him before I did, 
and he crossed in front of me and screamed and he almost got bit hard because she thinks this dude's coming in to dad's territory. So Mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta show him what's up. That's my dad, but that's not something that happens overnight. It takes a long time and it would break my heart to get my dog up, you know, and see somebody else handling my dog. Mm -hmm. I see Hoogie's uh, comment about them being fit. Like if the, if the handler gets injured, and the dog's still fit for duty. And I get that. Like agencies, the military, they they invest a lot of money in these animals. And no no agency or department is willing to just part with cash while mm-hmm. it's still there, you know. But I, I think that should be I think that should be a contract thing because if it's not the handler's fault, if the handler fails or hurts the dog or does something to cause a dog harm, absolutely take that dog away, get give it to somebody else. But if they were doing their job they're hurt in the line of duty. I, I don't understand. I've never understood that decision to try to take that dog away and put it with someone else because it doesn't seem fair to me, I, especially I'm, I'm a little biased because of my, my job. But I, <laughs> I think a lot of people would agree. I can't imagine that most people wouldn't feel that way, no matter how much money you've got invested. The thing that you find out as a handler, the community could hate you as a cop, as a human, as whatever, but they will die for your dog. They will do anything they need to do for your dog. Never had an issue fundraising for a dog or for vests. Vests are always provided for us because people want to take care of the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, they know they do important work and everybody loves dogs, you know. <laughs> so I think it, it, you know, it's on them to to find another solution and, and let those those people live with their their animals that they've trained. Yeah, I I would have to agree. Don't have as much intimate experience, but if someone tried to take my dog, I guess I'd be pissed. Um, But I but I paid for her, so that's a little different. Uh, (laughs) All right, two more questions in the chat. Best memories or moments with dog from service together, and then did your dog ever save your life? As far as saving my life, it's that's a hard question to ask. So we, you know, when we do these tracks and everything, she the the one thing that's coming to mind is there was a person, um, very close to me that was the they had an armed and dangerous warrant out of another city they just abused and beat up their spouse and they were hiding in really thick brush and you know like i said before i key off of my dog's behavior and as we approach this brush where people generally don't hide because people don't like to feel pain they take the the path of least resistance most of the time uh, when they do when they do run or or hide or whatever but this person was very dedicated and you know, in that instance, like your mind always goes back to what if, you know, there was reports that there could have been a gun. Obviously, they have an armed and dangerous warrant. There's a lot of questions you ask yourself. There's a lot of what ifs you go, you play through in your mind. Like, what if that person had a gun? What if that person jumped out and decided to attack me? You know, because uh, she ended up getting an apprehension on this person. They were only probably about five and a half feet away from me where oh. I was standing at the time. Yeah. And that, I mean, that instantly <laughs> raises your awareness, mm-hmm. raises, you know, the adrenaline just shoots right through your system but she you know like i said she i I watched her behavior and that's where i started to feel like okay there's somebody like here and i Mm -hmm. I called out to the person next to me i said this this person's very close i think they're in this area and it was not even like a second after i said that she lunged into the bushes and bit them on the behind so yeah that's she's definitely definitely uh kept me safe i don't know if you know saved my life is is accurate, but she's definitely kept me safe in some of those those instances. Best memories with my dog, you know, I think the ten, I think the the baseball one is probably one of my favorites. <laughs> because twenty two minutes is is a quite a long time. I, well, and because you're a brand new handler, you want to show everyone that you're doing a great job. And I'm just sweating 
<laughs> screaming her name. And she just laying down in the baseball field, panting, ball, you know, baseball resting between Happier her paws. Happier than shit. Just, yeah, we're all here playing. Dad, what are you doing? Why are you yelling at me? What's up? You know, what is this? Thing? And you know, it's funny. We did that same drill because I was curious. I'm somebody that does not like to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did it again, like, like two or three years down the road. I was like, I got to see if this is legit and stood out in the field, made sure there's no baseballs in the field, <laughs> stood out in the field. And as I stood there, she walked around a little bit, came, sat right in front of me, looked at me. So, mm. you know, and, and is it, is it something that has any, any truth behind it? I have no idea, but it, it felt, it felt like there was, you know, some yeah. truth behind it in that case. Well, or there's no baseballs and she's bored. So you're the most interesting thing in the field. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a shlama asking about if the dog goes to another person and doesn't take to them. I mean, I was talking about dogs like consistency before and you're taking them out of a very consistent environment and throwing throwing them in a little bit of chaos so they 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 generally don't respond well to that and and it always seems like a bad idea but does your dog have any relationships with family and friends in your life their thoughts of being a work dog versus your dog so in my house my dog follows me everywhere i go listens to me does not listen to my wife just strictly listens to me. That is her. And it's funny because if I leave a room, she follows me out of the room. If I enter a room, she follows me into the room. For crying out loud, if I go to the bathroom, she'll nudge the door um, <laughs> and try to get in there <laughs> because she wants to make sure that I'm okay. Um, dad, she's dad, super friendly. dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. She's super friendly. She's never had an issue with kids. She's always, I mean, she has such a great on-off switch. And not all dogs are like that. But that's becoming more common because it used to be back in the, you know, the 80s and the 90s. You want to get the biggest, meanest police dog that just snaps at everyone and super intimidating. Mm -hmm. And my dog is going to tear you apart. And it's gone really far away from that to more social dogs because we do a lot of demos and public greetings and stuff like that. And she is awesome. Outside of work, she has, like, she literally has a switch where, you know, going back to the consistency thing and, and you know, being consistent. If, if I raise my voice and start yelling at someone, it's go time. You know, it's not, it's not happy time. It's not, you know, let, let the nieces and nephews hang on me and pet me. It's, it's somebody's going to get messed up. She's really good. And, and that comes from body language. Dogs are expert body language readers. If you ever watch your dog closely, please, you can try this sometime. If you have a certain thing you do, like, do you give your dog treats? Yes. Of course. Yeah. When you, when you, Spoiled. um, yeah. And I, I bet you could hold your hand up. Like if you were holding a treat, if you held your hand up, like you do with a treat, that dog would be like, Hey, Whoa, Whoa, you got something there. So another thing about my dog, the first time I got her out and did a, a drug search warrant at a school, cause we do school mm-hmm. uh, searches or not search warrant, but searches. We do searches at schools. And the first time I got her out, she was so excited. She bonked her head on every single <laughs> handle in the in the locker room, in the gym locker room. I mean, like, went right down the line, bonk, 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 <laughs> because she was just so happy to be there and so excited to be doing her job that she had zero self-preservation. And I've always said, like, if something ever happens to my dog, it's not going to be the, you know, the shootout with the suspect or, or anything like that. It's going to be because she found a piece of dark chocolate, you know, laying on the ground and she, <laughs> and she decided it. to give it a try, you know. But Hoogie also brought up something else about the body language. If the dog's body language is saying one thing and you have a gut feeling in another another direction, we have a saying in canine handling, and that saying is trust your dog. And that is scripture because there has been times where I have disregarded that 
and I was wrong and my dog was right. And it's, it's weird. You always tell yourself that I've been doing this for, you know, six, seven years now. And you always say, trust your dog. And then that one time you don't, and you're like, I, I just don't think it's, I don't think my dog's right this time. Something's wrong. Something's, something's off or, or the cop said that the guy went the other way and he was right there. Nope. The guy went that way. You were wrong. Dog was right. <laughs> Come on, you dummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cop wrong? What? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I had, so we had somebody shoot a house and they took off and they ran, they bailed out on the interstate. So there's not a lot of places they could go. Mm. And the, the cop who I trust and is a very good, very good cop said they jumped the fence and they went east. And I got my dog out and she went north along the interstate along this fence. And he, oh, no, 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 no. They definitely went east. So I pulled her up over the fence started going east and just not seeing what I'm looking for behavior wise and everything. A few minutes later, we get a call. Yeah. Uh, just north of where you are, uh, truckers calling in saying that they just saw uh, two males run off the interstate or from the fence on the interstate, got in the car and took off. So we were there right, we were right behind them and we were going the right way, but <laughs> didn't trust my dog. And you know, that's, that's how you learn. Have you ever experienced the 1% where the dog was wrong? Well, and, and the other thing about, um, uh, training is in, in handling a dog is if the dog does something incorrect, it is not the dog's fault. It is my fault. Um, dog, the dog, uh, and we prove it in certification time and time again, the dog can do anything you ask it to do. But when you introduce your own issues, like I said, you know, not, not trusting her, that's a fail, you know, that's a fail track on my part, you know, and it's hard to, it's hard to say that, but it's, it's part of learning. You know, if you, if you think your dog alerted on something that wasn't there, you have to go and ask yourself, have I proofed my dog off of plastics lately? Have I proofed my dog off of cigarettes lately? Because we do all that. We do food to make sure that they're not getting used to odors that are, because, you know, doing drugs in a control, or doing that, I'm going to rephrase that. <laughs> Wait, what I'm now? Rephrase that just <laughs> Searching for drugs in a controlled environment is very different than your average car on the street or your average house that you're doing a search warrant in. So you're saying you have to, you have junkie to cars aren't like a conference room? What? Training my dog not to eat a three-day-old Whopper <laughs> has probably been one of the biggest uh, challenges of my life. Licking old cheese curds out of floorboards. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yeah, It all tastes the same going down, you know. <laughs> she don't mind. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But does your – because my dog, like, today was training day. I put on my, you know, multi-cam training pants. She's downstairs in my dungeon, as people like to call it. Um <laughs> And uh, I'm upstairs. I put my pants on in the sound of the buckle because I have a different buckle. I have regular Velcro belt for my duty belt for my my duty pants. But for my training pants, I have a, a metal buckle. She hears that and she starts barking. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure your dog does something like that. You know, like food. Mm -hmm. Food uh, is always a big one. Like if they hear the scoop or the, you know, the, the kibble rattling around in the mm -hmm. container. So they're, they're so incredibly smart. Chunky puppy upstairs, probably thinking that right now. <laughs> I'll eat. I could eat. Just like her mom. I could eat. Fuck it. I could eat. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Thoughts on communities that feel dogs aren't needed turn down grants for police dogs because they don't think those are necessary. People can do a good enough job. Well, you know, I mean, they, and they occasionally treat you like that, that uh, people can do a good enough job. So 
<laughs> they do. You know, it's, I, I never fault a department for looking at it from a budgetary standpoint and not wanting to do it. But I think if they turn down the chance to take a dog, I think it's a huge mistake. You, you know, you, a lot of dogs aren't being trained in marijuana right now because it's become legal in so many places. Even if you don't do the detection work, I think tracking is something you don't always track to a bad guy. Sometimes you track to an, and that actually, I would say happens about evenly. It's probably for me in my career about 50-50 where I'm either looking for a person that did something wrong or I'm looking for a person that was lost. And, and you know, some departments really look hard at, oh, this is intimidating or we don't want this big mean German Shepherd. Labs are great police dogs. I think you're leaving a tool on the table like I told about the article search for the, the vehicle involved in the shooting. It's going to take officers hours mm -hmm. to find a set of keys in high grass and you've just cut that down you don't have to pay people i mean this was also at the tail end of a shift so now are you paying people overtime to do this it's something that i think over the over the term i've had like i said i've had my dog for almost seven years now it, it's something that does pay for itself in the end if, if you know how to use it and use it correctly but i'm definitely what's the difference between an officer with a canine and a canine officer. And that's just it. An officer with a canine, that's the one that makes, and I'm not, you know, I have a Twitter page. It's the one that makes, you know, the Instagram videos of doing cool stuff, like having the dog with goggles on and, you know, popping the door popper and stuff like that. A canine officer is always trying to improve, always trying to learn, always trying to understand what they need to do, like never satisfied with their dog's performance or their performance as far as training goes. Always trying to solve issues because like you go to these certifications and you see a lot of people that just sweat through them. <laughs> I never, I never like to do that because it's incredibly stressful. Like I remember the first one I did was national certification. It was in Eureka, Missouri at Six Flags. And <laughs> you know, you're, you're up there with like hundreds of dog teams and if your dog does something wrong it's embarrassing and it makes you look bad and but that's how some people do that's a officer with a canine the ones that don't care if their dog outs or always have to yell at them to do this or dogs detection work is really subpar or they don't track well because they never practice tracking that's where somebody that's like oh it's cool i get to work with a dog versus my dog's a badass which is what i strive for you know it's not always it's not always that way there's there's mm -hmm. hiccups here and there but you want to strive for one that you know, when they say, oh, we got this huge incident, we're, we're looking to you for the solution. You know, we're looking for your dog to, to solve the problem or find the guy or, you know, find the huge stash of heroin in this house or whatever. So that's what we strive for. You guys have a comfort dog for your PDs. We tried a comfort dog through, through our corrections system that did not go well and I think bit somebody. Oh. So, oh, okay. Um, but no, they do, they do do uh, dog training for some of our, I think for our Hubers, okay. which I'm all for, honestly. Like I said, people love dogs. Mm -hmm. you, you can't discount that. A bond you build with a dog like that is something that can, <laughs> I hate to say can make you a better person, but I do, I do believe it. You know, mm -hmm. like, like it can, dogs are great. Yeah. There is an agency closer to my, where I grew up that has, I think two quote unquote comfort or therapy dogs in the school system. Okay. So the school resource officer has a canine, but it's a therapy dog, not a, I guess I don't know exactly what qualifications it has, but it's mostly on Instagram. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, so, you know, that's perfectly valid. I think that's a good idea, especially, you know, kids are, are dealing with a lot these days and well, yeah. I, I don't, I don't disagree with the use of dog like that. And I wouldn't hate on any department for using a dog that fashion. Is there a PTSD type thing for dogs? There is. 
when we had the dog fighting with the guy with excited delirium and it punched him, there was a concern that the dog would become timid after that and not be able to apprehend. So they went through a process to, to make sure that that was going to happen. A lot of dogs are weeded out early on for sensitivities. And that's something that you never really hear about or see, but there's a whole process they go through. They, you know, they're, they're exposed to gunfire to see how they handle gunfire. Some dogs do not handle gunfire. Some dogs are afraid of slippery floors. That's actually pretty common, <laughs> honestly, because, you know, people in their houses or most buildings don't have slick floors unless you're in an office building or, or a police department. So we've actually had, before we got to the to the kennel that we use now, we got a dog that was afraid of slippery floors and it was like he was standing on a skyscraper whenever he got on him. And that's, I mean, for a pet, that's fine. Maybe you don't have hardwood in your house or you just have carpet or whatever and the dog will be just fine. But as a working dog, they have to eliminate so many issues, make sure that they're not prevalent, you know, thunder, lightning, gunfire, so do they rule they do. those out before they're assigned yes. to a person? Yes. The kennels generally will import dogs from Europe. You know, most of the reputable reputable ones will. And they'll take them through a whole course. They'll run them upstairs. Some dogs don't like like metal graded stairs where you can see through. They don't know how to react to that. They don't like, uh, there's a host of things that they test them for. Sound, any kind of aversion to loud noises or loud sounds, gunfire, being scared. We do what's called predator prey drills where a person appears larger than they are they run up and try to scare the dog and if the dog backs away and doesn't engage the person then they're a pet or they're mm -hmm. going to do something else or they're not going to do apprehension there's so many aspects and that's where the master trainers come in there's so many aspects like is the dog biting in an aggressive manner a manner to apprehend somebody or is a dog biting in a defense manner because they look very different if the dog is just nipping your ankle and then as soon as you back up they let go that's a defensive dog. If the dog is grabbing onto your ankle and holding and holding and shaking, that is an aggressive dog. That's what you're looking for. Hmm. Is there a best dog? My dog. Uh, so <laughs> kind of question. Next question. Uh, Sasha's the best. Maybe maybe for police canines, but we're going to say yeah. fat you house know, dogs. I have yeah, the best for, dog. <laughs> you have the best dogs for breeds. They're all they're all great. Like there's always the Malinois shepherd debate. And we have a saying that if you put a person behind the door, a shepherd's gonna sniff the door, try to find a way around to get to them and try to work the problem out. If you have a Malinois sniff a door, they're gonna try to run through the door. I was gonna say eat the door. Eat the door. <laughs> eat the door and run through the door. <laughs> the the maligators. They all have their strengths. They all have their weaknesses. Shepherds are very cerebral, generally speaking. They're really good at solving problems. Malinois are not great at, Brain at branching. Figs. Yes, branching <laughs> objectives. So, so they tend to get locked in a little bit. So that works in your favor because, like I said, Sasha figured out she'd rather chew on a, a baseball, baseball for twenty-two minutes. Yeah. 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 So fair. Well, my my dog. So like you know, Malinois are are brainless. My dog is <laughs> mm -hmm. an expert at stealth. Um, oh. If I'm making dinner, mm -hmm. she knows how to sneak up on me, and divert my attention. <laughs> she might knock over a trash can, Sneaky. or knock something off the counter to my right, mm -hmm. and come in from the left and steal like a piece of chicken or steak <laughs> from me. So gremlins. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Dogs care about if something else is in the way of them trying to smell. Like if you wanted them to check a car, what is something that would stop her from doing that? Boogie yeah. wants to hide his weed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not going to give you our secrets. <laughs> um, but I will say 
I've seen people try just about everything unsuccessfully. Peanut butter was a rumor going around on the internet, but uh, there's a lot of people try to cover scents a lot. Axe body spray seems to be the biggest one, which is offensive to my nostrils and to my dog. But there's there's not really anything. (laughs) Black ice air fresheners. The felony forest? Are you going to put the felony yeah, forest in your windshield? I have to proof. I, I am not joking about this. I have to proof those because they are so prevalent in cars that, that we search. And every cop will probably tell you that yeah. that makes sense. But yeah, I have to proof her off of those just to make sure. Um, <laughs> just, just to rule it out because, you know, it's, you it's wild. Like defense attorney. It's wild how that stuff travels, though. You know what I mean? Like yeah. one druggie yeah. buys the specific black ice little felony forest things and now every single one of them has them it's like the crown royal bags like if you go into a search warrant you're going to find a crown royal bag there's either drugs or there's sex toys in it those are the only options guaranteed (laughs) right (laughs) every time do police stations give extra money to be used for caring for the dog like money for food or vet bills yeah, it's in our policy that, that the handler is not responsible for any of the care or maintenance of the dog. And that's most places are like that. I can't think of anywhere that off the top of my head that would make the handler pay for any costs like that up front. So when they retire the dog, so say now Sasha's 15 and she decides, you know, I'm not really oh. into this anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> um, then are there any like aftercare that the department funds or now is it your pet and you are responsible for it? So they would sign the dog over to me for a dollar. I would adopt her from that point on. I'd be responsible for her. They don't cover her vet bills after that, but most veterinarians, and we have a few in this area, donate their services for that, Okay, um, which is very nice. And I think yeah, that's why absolutely. why they, they don't continue that because it's like, okay, we can get that cost up because, you know, that's when generally dogs become yeah. More expensive, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they get a little older and they start breaking down. And and, and that's yeah. the thing about canines is they're basically, and the vet told me this years ago, and I think it's a good analogy. They're like pro athletes, you know, mm-hmm. they put their body through all these, these very rigorous things and they break down faster. So yeah. it's you're working you them harder down. every day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What is the level necessary for bringing a canine officer for something they feel a dog needs to sniff out? If you're referring to like narcotics detection, there's a bunch of different ways you can approach it. Like as long as I'm not extending the stop, I can basically run my dog around any car I would like to. It's a waste of my time and it's a waste of the officer's time and the dog's time to just willy-nilly run the dog around every single car. That That's counterproductive. You're opening yourself up for you know, the potential to mess your dog up. So there's a lot of things that we do. We train officers what to look for, behavior, reading body language, uh, responses, uh, looking for indicators of drug use in their their vehicles. You know, there's not like a threshold. Like my biggest one, and please, you've been doing this for a while, but my biggest one is like pre-stop indications. Like, like what the person does while I'm pulling them over, right before I'm pulling them over is usually like where my radar starts to starts to go off right away. Do they yeah. take a turn, take two turns, look in their side mirror a couple times, you know. How many so, blinkers did they turn on? Yeah, how many blinkers, <laughs> right? Yeah, did they put both hazards on when they pulled over for some reason? Did they reason? have to turn the radio down so that they could yep. focus? Did they, <laughs> yep, did they immediately light up a cigarette as soon as they pull over? Yeah. They're trying to calm their nerves. And How much are they shoving in their glove box? Yep. <laughs> yeah, and if, yeah, that that's nah. a really great one. And, and I always try to keep an eye on the guys that are making stops out there. That's my job as a cannon handler. So I'll roll a one and 
I'll talk to the person because newer cops are missed that stuff. I had one guy, one guy he's talking to, I, I stopped out with him and he's talking to this kid and he said, where are you headed? He said, I'm headed to my grandma's house. It was 2.30 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> what? And your grandma? I was like, yeah, is your grandma awake right now? And, you know, he started fumbling through his answers. I'm like, we got to run the dog. And he run the dog around the car. She alerts and then we find products in it. So, so we have a lot of, hopefully a lot of information when the dog is brought out on a stop. Other than I have a gut feeling. Yeah, here's a car. Um, or, oh. or here's a car, you know, just sniff it. Because that that's going to make me upset because you can't account for everything that's been in a car, every person that's been in a car. But it doesn't matter because if your dog alerts on a car, you don't find anything. The person says, because most people are actually pretty upfront in my experience. They'll be like, yeah, we smoke weed in the car all the time. Or mm-hmm. yeah, I've been doing heroin. Heroin stays on door handles for a ridiculously long amount of time. Hmm. And people are generally upfront with you. If you just tell them like, look, you're not in trouble. Just tell me if drugs are used in or around the car and they'll say, yeah. But then if you introduce more and more instances where you don't find anything and your dog was alerting, it gets harder and harder to explain why your dog's alerting on those cars, even if you have the training. So you always got to keep that in mind. Give the dog a chance too. Absolutely. You set them up for success. Most cops are pretty good about being able to articulate something that they saw or they experienced because people leave clues all the time that they're, I mean, the air fresheners by themselves, maybe not, but you start adding in everything that you see. That's what makes a good cop, especially a good street cop, is being able to take all the information in front of them and being like, they took a while to stop or... The, yeah, the totality of the circumstances. The tota- like exactly, yeah. exactly. So a good cop will give you that information or be looking for that kind of stuff. Or they're going to say, you know, like the person was handing their license over and their hand was shaking. You and know, they're sweating profusely. They're sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, you'd be amazed like how people telegraph. And, and sometimes having another officer there to talk to the person because they may be like, oh, they seem nervous. Well, after like five minutes they've been on the stop you go up and you make contact because i always try to as a canine mm-hmm. officer anyway they might have calmed down by this point point. and like i said people are generally pretty bad at hiding <laughs> their their uh you know when they've got something going on where they they shouldn't be doing you know because they mm-hmm. people get nervous everybody gets nervous when they're either caught in a lie or doing something they're not supposed to be doing so mm-hmm. they're not good at hiding it no not so sneaky sneaky what do dogs feel in terms of stress when walking around a car for that many hours straight type of thing? So how many callouts do you generally have or how many cars do you usually walk around in a night? It's not that many. Okay. We're not a huge department. You know, I probably average like one to two a night or, or a day now. <laughs> I guess I went back for years of time. <laughs> but uh, I average like one to two or per, per day and sometimes it's less, sometimes it's zero, sometimes it's more, sometimes they'll have three, four or five things happen. And if you're a good handler, you're going to be getting your dog up, breaking her, running her around a little bit, letting her de-stress, play with the toy, you know, getting her to just relax a little bit. On a normal patrol day, she's fine. She comes home and she eats and she plays for a little bit and she sits in her kennel and then take her out one more time and then put her to bed. On a training day or a high stress situation day, she is spent <laughs> and she'll be spent in the car. Like if we, we did track and like, it was like a really hot summer, it was like a hundred degrees. And when we got done, I mean, she, I gave her her water and she just slept <laughs> the rest of the, the rest of the shift. And you know, that's, they get adrenaline just like we do fight or flight. So they, they go through all that, but she's able to bounce back really quickly too. I can do a long track with her, put her up for probably about 20 to 30 minutes, let her rest and then do it all over again. I don't get overutilized. I get underutilized. So it's up to me to kind of educate them on what they're looking for. I mean, I did a, I did a class on 
paraphernalia and indicators and most of the new people had never heard didn't know what a chore boy was which blew Ooh, my mind wow <laughs> yeah it blew my mind sometimes you need to educate like i i would say on the digital forensic side i end up underutilized as well people will go on a search warrant and say oh it's just a drug search warrant and then they come back with parts of a security camera and none of them are the hard drive and i'm like what what the fuck do you want me to do with this there's no data on the device it's on the hard drive where's the heart where was it plugged into where did the wires go what are you doing and they call me after and they're like oh i, I need this analyzed i'm like okay i'm not a magician where's the wizard because we're fucked <laughs> so uh, you know it makes sense yeah. one people in this field are type a they don't want to admit that they need help with something or oh, yeah. that they they, they want uh, something more that they don't have so doesn't surprise me at all. Could one theoretically use a canine recreationally? <laughs> do you want to? What do you want to find the marijuanas for? You know, you we have uh, we have people. I, I saw them at the kennel that I went through back in back in the day, where people try to do like privately trained canines to like people hire you know richer people be like, oh my son's doing marijuana, can you come search his room? Because they're not well, they're not you know they're not subject to the constitution True. like yeah. they are because mm -hmm. they're private citizens, so they can search whatever they want. There's money in it, but <laughs> you know I wouldn't I wouldn't want to deal with the court the court battle if you know something goes wrong or I don't know I, it it seems risky to me. So how often are drug and bomb type dogs cross-trained where a dog can do more than just the one thing? And I think you said yours is dual purpose. So yours does yep. the tracking and the drugging. <laughs> um. The tracking and the drugging, yes. That's, 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 uh, that's actually an industry term. Yes, I'm very professional, technical, all the technical terms. Anyways, so how many different things can they do? I'm going to list. Question. So my certification is narcotics detection in buildings, narcotics detection in cars, tracking, area searches, article searches, handler protection, apprehension, obedience. I think that's it. So that's eight things that she is trained in individually. And those are all individually certifiable. So only bombs she doesn't do? Oh, and electronics. And electronics, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. With that... <laughs> We're just going to we're just going to wrap it up. It was fun. We had yeah. an experience. I thank you for being here. Thank, thank you for having. giving it a shot. And thank you guys who hung out until the very end. This has been this has been a long one. I was worried we weren't going to fill fill <laughs> as much time. Oh, yeah. And now here we are almost at three. Hours, uh, yeah. So. Oops. That's how we do. That's how podcasts do, though. Yeah. Gotta... Well, and if there's a topic to talk about, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> Well, again, thank you for having me, please. Yes, yes. It. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just in case you don't know where to find us, the podcast is recorded whenever guests or topics are available at www.twitch.tv slash policey. That's P-O-L-E-E-S-I. Our guest for today, County Canine Guy, can also be found at www.twitch.tv slash county K the number nine guy. For details on future podcasts and recording dates, please check the description of this podcast. <laughs> Scouty, do drugs in a controlled environment, County 2021. This will be my takeaway from this informative podcast. You're welcome, Scouty. Glad we could teach you. You know, you learned something very useful. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no worries. And Scouty would take that away from this whole thing. Yeah. That's, I mean, he's learning something valuable.
Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you took something away yeah. from today, Scotty. That's what we're here for. It's very educational. Makes Should sense. be a great exhibit at my trial. <laughs> All right, Scotty. You can quote him as County Canine Guy too. Who's <laughs> Put that in there, a little snippet. If I get if I get a subpoena from Scotty, I swear, I swear, you can be an expert witness on uh, this this episode of the podcast. I'll take I'll take the pay of an expert witness. There you go. 